All right. So here at City Light, every week, uh, we love to read from, uh, learn from, teach from uh, God's Word, okay, the Bible. Uh, we believe that when it is um, yeah, shared, taught faithfully, that it is God actually speaking, communicating with us. Uh, so that's why it's at the heart of what we do when we gather. This afternoon, we're going to read from Acts 19, sentences 11 through to 34. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen. Acts 19, sentence 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Then fear fell on all of them and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. When these events were over, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, I must see Rome as well. So after sending two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, he himself stayed in the province of Asia for a while. During that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You both see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole province of Asia, This man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. So not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one whom the whole province of Asia and the world adore. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's traveling companions. Though Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to take a chance by going into the amphitheater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Then some of the crowd gave Alexander advice when the Jews pushed him to the front. 
So motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to take his defense to the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a united cry went up from all of them for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is the word of God. Well, uh, good afternoon. My name is Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's great you could join us on, uh, <clears throat> on this Sunday afternoon. That's getting a bit loose in here, isn't it? You know, Jez wearing thongs down the front here. Ev's looking for a boyfriend. What's going on here? Wow. I've got to really, I've got to really show back in again, don't I? Um, but a big happy Father's Day to you all out there. Um, I, had, uh, I, had to, I have to work on Father's Day. You know, that's today. That's me at the front preach. Anyway, whatever. And uh, I, went to my, um, I went out on Friday to my preschool, to my daughter's preschool, and they made me a little, a little photo frame. They had this little picture that said, I heart daddy, which was really cute. And so that's on my fridge at the moment. And by the way, if people have asked me already um, the question, how have I gone this week getting my son to school on time? Thanks for the concern. Thanks for the, uh, for the prayers and the love. I appreciate it. This week, we've got my son to school twice late this week. And I got a talking to again this week by the teacher after school. Um, I feel like I'm one of the naughty kids of the class, and I'm not even a student. It's so weird. Anyway, please pray for my punctuality, and um, hopefully next week's a better week. Uh, we're going to jump into the Word of God. Um, as Deb said, we, uh, we look at the Bible here because we believe it's how God speaks to us. And so I'm going to pray to the author of that Word that he would speak to us now, uh, wherever we're at. Let's talk to God together. <clears throat> uh, Father, we want to we thank you that you are the sovereign Lord over all. We want to thank you that, uh, that we are here by no accident, that you have brought us here this afternoon to speak to us, give us a message. And Lord, we want to pray that, um, that you would speak to us, that we would hear what you're saying. Lord, for whatever sort of weeks we have had or, or moments we've had or seasons that we're in, I just want to pray, Father, that you'll be able to just help, us to be, help our souls to be quiet, our minds to slow down, and so you would address our hearts. Lord, we want to be fed by you this afternoon as you speak. Lord, we want to pray that you use me as your servant, and I would speak just your truth, and I would get out of the way. Lord, we want to see you this afternoon. We want to hear about the power of the gospel that brings change to all things, including us. And so, Lord, bless our afternoon as we spend time with you, hearing from the Creator and the love of our soul. So bless our time, we ask, Lord. Amen. As I mentioned uh, a little bit last week, that... Um, a week and a half ago, Katie and I uh, celebrated our, or we went away to celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary. And, uh, but our, our actual anniversary was just last Friday, the 2nd of September, so Katie organized for us to go out for dinner, which was really nice. Um, and over the past little while, you know, 10 years, you think about 10 years, you start thinking about, um, uh, you know, has it felt long or short? People often, often say, is it long, it's short? And I say, oh, it's so short, because Katie's the best. Anyway, I hope she's here hearing that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's interesting to think about, because I think, you know, it is, it's, in one sense it's been really long, and in sense it's been really short. Like, I'm trying to think back to when I was a single person, it's even hard to, to remember what it was like, and, but then I think about how time has flown, and having three kids, and having moved house four times, and it's all a bit of a, a, bit of a blur, but it's surreal, really. And I know, that, um, I know that Katie would have definitely thought through all of her feelings and emotions, and she would have reminisced about everything. Uh, she's the one who loves, you know, photos, and having great memories, and... and and uh, catching moments, and just this week she was tidying up our bedroom and sits down for hours looking at the photos. I'm like, just get rid of those things. We don't need that. Let's just... I'm about moving forward, Katie, moving forward, focus, where she wants to sit in the moment and, and think about it all. And 
And so knowing this, I said to her, um, we, were, we, were, we were away last week and we were, having, uh, at, we were at the Shangri-La having high tea and it's, I just want to say that it's good for guys to have high tea. Um, I love it, so, you know, embrace that, guys. Anyway, we were sitting there and I said to Katie, being silly mucking around, I said, oh, okay, so 10 years anniversary, tell me 10 things you love about me. You know, just being a jerk, <laughs> anyways, I do. And uh, but the joke was on me because she then went and said, okay, uh, let's talk about each year of marriage one by one. And she analysed each year of our marriage. Right. So year, year one was like, yep, I, uh, I remember this and we did this. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. Like, was I there? Were you, was that my, our marriage? Um, it was, I couldn't remember what we did. And, uh, and she went through uh, year by year. And the joke really was on me um, after, the, after that. But um, as, as we were talking, talking about it, we were both uh, thinking, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is that I feel like in our marriage, we've both changed so much. Um, we both are the people that we were when we first started our marriage. Uh, it's the same with both of us. We're different people. And I don't mean drastic changes, but I think we've both definitely changed from who we were when we first began um, our relationship. And that's one of the joys of marriage is to, is to uh, relearn how to love the person that they've become or are becoming going forward. I heard one person uh, once say he's been married for 40 years. He said, I've been married to five different women, all the same person. I think that, that was really true. And Kate and I have experienced that in our marriage for the past uh, 10 years. But as you think about it, what, what changes people in marriage? What, what changes people in general to transform them? Uh, I love, um, as you all know, I love a bit of reality TV and uh, Survives on Tonight. Enjoy that, because I know I will. Um, but um, uh, I, love, uh, I used to love the show uh, The Biggest Loser. Um, I was a personal trainer to fitness and that sort of stuff, and so I really loved how, what sort of training techniques they used, and seeing someone go who's quite unhealthy, go to a healthy person um, who's fit and strong. And so what I used to love was, is this radical transformation that would take place in someone's life. Uh, and you would see it week by week. And uh, these, uh, these people who are really unhealthy, uh, there were often deeper issues that were going on in their life, and out of that they would be, they would, they would, um, live an unhealthy lifestyle. And it was quite sad to see that happen. Um, but most of them, and you see in the show, they don't, they don't really like uh, who they are or like themselves and um, they actually hate who they are. And the show's all about trying to help them to change and to change how they view themselves and address these deeper issues that are going on. I just love seeing how they try to do this. How do their trainers try and change the view that they have of themselves? And it's interesting to think about, how, how, do you, how do you bring either change to yourself or change to someone else? How do you change someone's worldview or their priorities or how to, how to think about themselves? I wonder if you've ever tried to change something in your life, you know, with a, a habit or, uh, or, or break a habit or whatever it is. It can be hard. It can be really hard. Right? And we don't like to fail. And so we, we, want to, we only try if we know we're going to succeed. We want to have confidence that the change we're going to make will actually work. Today we are looking at Acts 19, and this passage is all about transformation and all about change. And uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts again, as Eb said for us, and uh, Acts is written by a guy called Luke, who was a doctor, and uh, his purpose in writing both Luke and Acts is to remind his readers that it's worth following Jesus, it's worth to keep on walking as a follower of Jesus. And he records all these events to spur his readers on. And what we're looking at today is this radical transformation of individuals, and then eventually a whole city gets transformed and turned upside down. 
and what people live for, what they value, their priorities, we, we totally changed. And, and as I've been reading this, and I don't know how you've been feeling about reading the book of Acts. I can read the book of Acts and think, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing what's going on there. But then I think, but yeah, that's 2,000 years ago. Um, and, and, and they were cheating a little bit. They had Jesus with them. You know, and the Apostle Paul, and he was doing some crazy things like healing people. And people were being um, converted en masse. And we don't really see that anymore. And so you can think, well, isn't that just then and where now? And they don't really connect anymore? That was then, says now. That's history. And that's what it can feel like. And I think we can lose confidence and think, well, nothing's going to change. There's no difference. We can lose confidence in the gospel of Jesus, that it can bring change. It can, and it can uh, transform people in its power. But what, what I really hope to do today, and I'm going to try a few things to try and help you to see this, is that I want us to leave here remembering the gospel is powerful to change people's lives. And I want us to leave here having confidence in that. Not just knowing that, but actually seeing that, experiencing that, and then giving us confidence to go. That's my hope this afternoon as you look through Acts 19. We're going to do something a little different later on. I'm going to, I'll show you that a bit later. I'm going to three observations to walk through Acts 19 on the screen behind me. The gospel changes lives, the gospel changes the city, and the gospel changes lives today. So we're walking through uh, the book of Acts, and uh, if you were here last week, we, uh, I spoke about the, the Apostle Paul, uh, Luke, records in Acts three missionary journeys for us. Uh, the second one last week was his trip to Europe, and he visited a place like Athens. We sat in Athens, the, uh, his, his um, interaction with Athens for Acts 17 for a while. But today, it's his third journey, and he's going to place, uh, places like Ephesus, Troas, and Miletus, which is Asia, Asia, Asia Minor. But I wanna, we want to stop just today in Ephesus and sit and look what he does in Ephesus. But what sort of city was Ephesus? This is really important. In this city, Ephesus, there was this huge temple. It's a huge temple. And it was a temple called, uh, the Romans called it the Temple of Diana, or the Greeks called it the Temple of Artemis. And it stood 420 feet long. It was 220 feet wide. It had a bright white marble roof held by 127 marble columns. Each was 62 foot high. It was a huge, spectacular temple. And this temple functioned as its religious center uh, for all animal sacrifices. It doubled as a political center and, a, and the central bank of Asia. And so with these uh, religious and financial powers at play, it attracted these masses. It's, it was like the metropolis of Asia, basically. That's what Ephesus was. And Artemis was this goddess of fertility and magic and astrology. And her, temple, uh, uh, and her temple made Ephesus into a place of superstition. So a lot of uh, magicians and witches and clairvoyants would come to Ephesus. It was almost like the Blue Mountains of, uh, shocking, of, uh, of Asia. Um, with, uh, with, with Ephesus being this epicenter of exorcism and magic uh, for all of Asia, so criminals came, politicians came, financiers came, religious leaders and artists. It was this, it was this melting pot of culture that was there. This, this mecca of religious pilgrimage, this Diagon Alley, Harry Potter reference, of, uh, of, of magic all in one place. I'm cultured on for today, aren't I? I'm really nailing it, right? <clears throat> With this being what the city was like, um, people would travel to Ephesus and they would want to experience what's going on. And so what happened was the, the local silversmiths, we've read about before, were, 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 were in business and wealthy and keeping up demand of all these amulets and shrines and idols that people wanted as they came to the city, they'd make a killing out of this. 
what their job was, to make these little trinkets and amulets that were apparently superstitious and magical for people to buy. That's what they did. So magic was the main commodity flowing out of Ephesus, and enchantment was one of, its, one of its main attractions. This is Ephesus, and this is where Paul goes and speaks Jesus to these people. So I want to show you what happens as he goes. Uh, the first little story, 11 to 20 on the screen behind me. Now, this, is a bit, this is a bit of a funny, crazy story. So it says God is performing miracles by Paul's hands. So even face cloths and aprons were, uh, that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and diseases left and, and people were healed. And some of these uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva were, were some of them. A Jewish chief priest were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit left on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them, so they ran out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to everyone in Ephesus, both Jew and Greek. Then fear fell on all of them, and the, Lord, and the name of the Lord was magnified, and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. They calculated their value and found to be worth uh, 50,000 50, pieces of silver. In the same way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. We read of these guys, seven sons of Sceva. Crazy name, first up, whatever. Um, they are itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's their job. Okay? They travel around to synagogues, finding people with demons in them, and then casting those demons out. That was their job. But they weren't very good at it, as we just read. Um, they see Paul going around, and he was just doing it with ease. Like he was just touching you know, face cloths, and they were going and getting demons out of, out of people. And uh, so... Uh, there was not an argument for Paul or a fight. He just had this power and this authority from Jesus, and it just happened like that. So these guys, these Jewish exorcists, see Paul, and they're like, well, we're going to work so much harder than these guys. What's going on? And so they go and find a demon-possessed man, and so they say to this demon-possessed man, they've got this new idea in their head, they think, well, let's use Paul's name. So they say, I command you to the demon, I command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. The demon says, back to, the, back to this, these, these guys, through this man, we know Jesus, uh, we've heard of Paul, but who are you? Imagine how scared you'd be at that moment. You know, you think you have this new trick up your sleeve, and then this demon talks to you in this weird voice, going, who are you, you know, whatever. And um, <laughs> imagine how scared you would be at that moment, thinking, oh man, we're in trouble. And so, and they were. The Bible then says that this man leapt on the seven sons of Sceva, beating the living daylights out of them, pantsing them, and then, so he made them naked, and so it actually says it there, and they ran out, bleeding, beaten, humiliated. It's like the first century UFC fight. Um, this, this demon-possessed man uh, not only beats them, but humiliates them. Um, imagine seeing that, these, these guys running the street, naked, being beaten by this demon-possessed man. What a weird sight. But what happens next is really interesting, and I want to show you this. Sentence 17 says, this, this event that happened, this event, became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jew and Greek. And then fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. I love here that this story, that Paul's not even involved. None of the apostles are involved, none of the followers are involved. It's almost like God uses a demon to proclaim the power of Jesus. And through this demon, Jesus' name is magnified through Ephesus. But that's not all that happened. Have a look at 18 and 20. It says, And many who became believers... So they're already following Jesus. They came and confessed and disclosed their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic, who didn't know Jesus, 
came and collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. They calculated their value and found it to be worth about 50,000 pieces of silver. In the same way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. You see here that fear and awe fell on the church once they saw this happen, once they saw the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus. Followers came forward, they devolved their practices, they confessed their sins to one another, they bought their books of witchcraft out, and they burned them all. A public burning of, this, of these books, these witchcraft books. And these, these Christians in this city uh, would, have, you know, would have seen all this magic and stuff going around them and thought, you know, who should I follow, Jesus or the magicians or the clairvoyants or whatever? But here they're reminded of the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus. They said that even demons fear Jesus. And so they follow him. And they're transformed and like, well, we're in. So much so, they get all their books worth, you know, altogether 50,000 uh, pieces of silver and they burn all their books. Amazing transformation takes place. When the church in Ephesus is reminded of the gospel, transformation happens. They think that these things are worthless now. I worship the true God only. And these things have meant nothing to me anymore. Um, I've shared this with you before. I find it quite weird that, uh, that uh, my job as a pastor is to be involved up here in public speaking. One of my greatest fears at high school was public speaking. I remember, you know, I used to, I used to get really scared when um, I'd have a you know, year 11 or 12 assessment and um, they would hand out the assessment sheet and you'd see one of the assessments was, a, was an oral presentation from the class. I used to stand at the front and my hands would be shaking. You know, when you hold the paper and it's just... If you're trying to read it and like, you know, trying to time it exactly to sit on two minutes because, yeah, they had two minutes and no longer. And that was me. And I used to, you know, I used to, when I went to uni and to Bible college, my greatest fear was speaking in front of other students. I really did not like it. And it's even today. If you ask me to speak any other place than behind my, my Facebook pulpit up here, in any other circumstance, I get really nervous. I freak out. Um, it even carries the when Katie and I are out. She's the confident one. If we go out for dinner and we get the wrong meal, I go, no, let's just eat it. And she goes, no, no, I'll take it back. I'm like, you go, you go, you go. That's, that's how it works. Or, you know, we've got to call someone at reservations and I know them. Like, can you call Katie? Can you call for me? And she does that. Uh, I get too afraid. Um, uh, or asking someone for information or a random person for directions. That Katie's my girl. She looks after that for me. We're a great team. Um, <laughs> It's weird that I get up here and preach, um, but I'm too afraid, I'm too fearful what people think of me. Uh, I'd rather hide and really not say anything and hide away in the corner. As I read of this young church in Ephesus, we read of people who are also really afraid and really scared, and, and they hide away in this church. It seemed like they weren't really sure if they should follow Jesus or not. They should be public with that or not. They were still holding on to the old practices and the, the practices of the city. But they also had Jesus sort of on the side and hiding that away as well. They wanted their sorcery and they wanted Jesus. But as soon as they were shown the power and reminded the power of the gospel, it changed everything. They became a church, they became a community that was authentic and honest, a gospel, a gospel community that understood that, that, that Jesus had set them free, to not pretend anymore to who they should be or, or that the world said they should be, but free to be a child of God. They remembered they were sinful people, but they had a great saviour. And they were free to confess and to repent of their sin. They sought freedom from false idols and false gods and they could throw off everything that hindered them. They could profess Jesus publicly and they did so. And I love the example of this church. Can you imagine being in this church and this gathering of believers and everyone's coming forward? It would be like we're sitting here and people came forward and just said, yeah, I want to confess this sin, I want to confess this sin, I want to confess this, I want to confess this. And there was this real community of that there was no shame or guilt because of who they were in Jesus. 
and they loved one another and spurred one another to love him more and to confess their sin. And this is not new, this is not new believers. This is people in the church who have been there for a little while. The gospel reinvigorated, reinvigorated this church so they could publicly uh, proclaim Jesus and confess their sins together. They knew that through the gospel and through Jesus' death and resurrection, there was no condemnation, there was no guilt, there was no shame. So it freed them up to be and confess their sins as an authentic gospel community. They were a community that didn't have to pretend anymore or pretend to be someone or hide away. They were authentic because they knew the truth of Jesus and the gospel changed them. You know, if, if you're here this afternoon and you're a follower of Jesus, then I, I think we have so much to learn from this young church. This is a very young church. And I want to say we need to keep remembering what like this church did, the power of the gospel, what we have in Jesus. All that has been inherited and what we have in and through him who we are. And it needs to be regular on our mind. See, I, I worry for us as a church sometimes. In my, in my life too. I worry in our very comfortable, in our very self-sufficient lives that we forget our need of Jesus daily. We become cold to Jesus. We become comfortable. He becomes normal. And a little predictable, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know that, I've heard that, Gav, I hear what you're saying. I heard it last week. And we lose our awe and our wonder of the gospel. We lose the awe and wonder about what, what our worship and our gratitude and our thankfulness should be. We forget of who we were and who we've been, and, and who we've been rescued by and what we have now in Him. And we grow cold, and we grow lukewarm even. And I don't know if you know Revelation 3, the letter to Laodicea. Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. We forget we, pos- we have the power in the gospel that we have freedom. Freedom to ch- that changes us, that transforms us day by day, that gives us hope, to give us perspective, to help us live and to swim upstream in a culture we are in the minority. We forget the power we have in the gospel that we possess, that heaven is our home, it's where we are heading. This hope is the anchor for the soul, it says in Hebrews. We forget that. And I, I want to ask you this afternoon, and a question I've been asking myself regularly is, have we, have I lost my awe and wonder of Jesus? Is he someone we just put on the shelf, that we pull out when we need him, put him back when we don't need him? Have you forgotten just, in how, just how in need you are of him and his daily sustaining grace? I think sometimes we can feel like I've been saved, I'm a Christian, Heaven's that way, and I just walk, I just walk this way, and I wait to get to there. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life, the, the gospel and Jesus' death, is not just the ABC. It is the A to Z of our lives. Have you forgotten your need of him, your relationship with him? I often say, Jess and I talk this a lot. As we've grown older, we've walked ministry and life for a while, well, we, we totally believe the gospel is the answer for everything. And as we've grown, as I've grown, I've grown deep in understanding how that, how that plays out in my life every single day. And as soon as I forget it, my eyes and my heart go back to myself, self-sufficient, my strength, my power, my glory. I get so messed up whenever I do that. My hope and prayer for us as a church is that we'll be constantly reminding each other of the good news of Jesus, what we have in him, and be joyful and celebrate that. 
can confess our sins to one another, knowing there is no guilt, there is no shame, and knowing the gospel can and does transform us every single day to be more like Jesus. It's my hope for us as a church. But I want to keep moving forward because I want to show you the gospel not only changes lives individually, but it changes a whole city. And I love this part. Let me read this for you. Sentence 23. It says, During the time there was a major disturbance about the way that's Christians of the church, Jesus, uh, for a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Man, you know that our prosperity is, de- is derived from this business. You both see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in the whole province of Asia, this man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. So not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also the temple of the great uh, goddess Artemis may be displeased and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one whom the whole province in Asia and the world adore. When they heard this, they were filled with rage, began to cry, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed all together in the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and, and uh, Aristarchus, the Macedonians, who had Paul's traveling companions. We read here these local silversmiths, right? And I said to you before, these guys' job was to, was to create little trinkets and, and amulets and, and idols for people to come and to, to you know, have as uh, superstitious things and, and, and little gods that they would, they would worship. Now, it's bad business for these guys because Paul was coming preaching Jesus and they were turning away from these things, so there's not a bigger demand for the work of these silversmiths anymore. And they're upset. Their trade of making statues was going out of business. And I love what Demetrius says in sentence 26. He says, this one man, Paul, this one man, has gone to the whole province of Asia and persuaded people that these idols are nothing. And made statu- uh, and there are, but our man-made statues, and everyone should worship the one true God. If you just pause on that for a second and think, that sounds crazy. One man, one man, Paul, who's not very impressive, he even says by his own words in, I think, one or two Corinthians, that he's not, a, he's not an impressive speaker. He didn't look much. He'd been beaten. He'd been chased out of every city. He'd been flogged. He'd been shipwrecked. He wasn't, a, he wasn't an impressive guy at all. But this one man traveled through the whole of Asia and had a big impact on Asia with this very unimpressive message of the gospel. And then he comes to a place like Ephesus, which is the epicenter of all things spiritual, magic, sorcery, which is very, you know, uh, uh, would have been uh, great to see and tricks would have been done. And he preaches this message and impacts the city so much that it's putting a whole business sort of in, in the red. They were making false gods, and they were worried that he that put them out of business. And, and remember, this is not a Jewish city. This is a Gentile city. But such is the power of the gospel to transform lives that once Paul tells the news of Jesus to Ephesus, it turns the whole city upside down. Here's a real cheesy line for that someone, I heard someone say about this, is that when the gospel comes to town, everything is turned upside down. <laughs> Catchy, right? Catchy, you can use that. The gospel comes to town, everything is turned upside down. This is what happens in Ephesus here. It turns the whole city upside down. Yesterday, um, we went out to uh, Sydney Park, which is at the back of Alexandria in Newtown. And uh, at this park, it has an amazing little bike track for kids, two, two bike courses. And they have even had like real traffic lights for the kids. And it was pretty amazing. And I was so impressed, so much so that I had to borrow Jet's bike and ride the course myself. And I really did do that, and we raced. It was great. And uh, it was so much fun. 
Katie has four kids sometimes, not just three. Um, but while I was there, I saw this class, this bike riding class going on. People had to ride bikes. And they weren't young kids, they were a little bit older. And I thought, that's really weird. You know, who needs to be taught how to ride a bike uh, by a complete stranger? And then, as usual, Katie explained to me what a good idea it was and how I was wrong and she was right and she was right. And, um, um, but uh, thinking about that for a second, thinking, but, you know, for us and for how we parent our kids is that we want our kids to... Uh, we're going to raise kids who are, who are confident to give things a go, who give things a shot, who are confident in their God-given abilities to try things. Um, I think being confident in something is really, really important. Um, if you aren't confident in what you're giving a go or, or you're confident in what you want to give a go, you won't give it a shot. You won't give it your best ability. You'll think you'll fail. There's no point in trying. Why should I give that a shot at all? You just tell yourself that it won't work. You know, at the beginning of... Um, I said at the beginning, one of the major reasons why Luke wrote Luke and Acts uh, was, to, was to give his readers confidence. Let me show you this. This is Luke 1, 3 and 4. Luke says this about writing about Jesus. He says, It seems good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was a guy that he had a relationship with, he was concerned about, he may have been drifting away. Then he says this, and this is, this is the point you understand. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. His purpose was in writing Luke and Acts was that Theophilus would be certain about who Jesus is and what he has done and who Theophilus is and the power of the gospel. To be confident. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Why, why, why does God put certain parts in the Bible and other parts not? Why would he have written Acts 19? Why is Acts 19 there for, do you think? You know, I mean, think about this and I think that God today wants us here in this building to be certain, to be confident in the power of the gospel to change lives, to turn cities upside down with the news of his sons and for the news of his son and his death on the cross for all people. You know, I asked this question last week to you, if you were here. Are you confident, are we confident in the power of the gospel to bring life to people? Are you confident in that? What's really struck me as I've read Acts is the, you know, seeing the conversion of Saul to Paul and the way he turns around in just a few seconds when God wants someone, changes their lives. We see it here as well. The gospel is the power of God to save people. Remember I showed you Romans 1, 16 last week on the screen behind me again? It's for I'm not ashamed, Paul says, of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I say to you all the time, the word power there is this idea of dynamite. It's explosive, strong. The question is, are you confident in that message? Let me ask you another question. Do you believe that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, could powerfully transform our whole city? The city of Sydney. We would see things like, you know, we'd see brothels closed down. We'd see the porn industry go out of business. We would see the poor, the needy, the marginalized taken in across our city. Do you believe that gospel could do that in our city? You know, I think God wants us to believe and have confidence that the gospel and its power can change this whole city as we go and make disciples. But if you're anything like me, we sometimes lose or forget our, we lose our confidence. We forget. We forget you know, we forget that God can save anyone. The power is in his, this word of the gospel. 
You know, and, and you know, forget the city. You know, for me, I even lose confidence that if I share Jesus with my brother or sister, they'll even come, come to know him. And you read the book of Acts and we think, this is, that was then, this is now, there's no connection. Is it still powerful? Well, like I said, I want to do something different. I want to finish up with my third point, the gospel changes lives today. And I want to do something, as I said, that's a little bit, a bit strange. We're going to roll with it. Um, I did it this morning. I did this. I want to show you, I want to show you, and I want to give you confidence that the gospel changes people today, right now. And I did this this morning, and it was a really cool thing, and it was a really encouraging time for all of us. I'm going to walk around, and I've teed up some people to actually share how the gospel has changed them in life. And this morning, we heard some phenomenal stories. There was one lady, uh, her name's Trisha Duke, who said that she's so been transformed by the gospel recently that she's decided, she's a teacher, and she's a, she's a head, head teacher, she can climb the ladder in school, you know, want to become a, a headmistress or principal or whatever, but she's decided next year, she's taking the whole year off to figure out how she can serve the Lord better, look after women at City Light better, and speak the gospel better. The whole year. What she's doing. We've had people who were quitting their jobs to go and pursue ministry, like uh, Mark, Mark Dunst is considering giving up law, just going to work out how to serve the Lord better in whatever capacity. It's the gospel at work today, and I want to give us confidence in that message. So, I've got a few people here that have agreed to talk to me with my roving mic, which is pretty exciting. So, I'm going to go to Ebs first. Ebs, can you stand up for us, Ebs? Uh, do you want to share with us how the gospel has transformed changed your life? Sure. Um, I think that the greatest way that the gospel has changed my life um, is probably in my career goals as well. Um, So I work as a lawyer. um, So I now make decisions about my career based on what God wants me to do. So instead of being tied up with things like money and power and how am I going to get the best job in the world and all the rest of that, um, I now think about what God wants me to do. So that means I'm now working in human rights and looking at how I can um, help people with my career. Um, and also this year I um, started working for City Lights, so I work on the staff team and that kind of takes up one day a week or so. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Ebbs does heaps of work in ministry for us, one day a week, totally unpaid, amazing. Jamie, um, tell us how the gospel transformed you, man. Um, yeah, I guess for me, like, I think most of us kind of struggle with, like, finding our worth and, like, what people think of us and that sort of thing. And so for me, it was just kind of, like, knowing that um, I can find my worth in being accepted and then living in light of that as opposed to living for acceptance. I mean, that's something that, like, obviously I still struggle with, but knowing that that's, like, the center of... Like knowing that that's the way things operate instead of just trying to make life work around people accepting you, knowing like, you know, when you get caught up in that, in that you can just be like, dude, what are you worried about? Like, you don't need to do that. So yeah. it's really freeing. Yeah. Thanks, man. Beeves. How's the gospel change you, brother? Yeah, thanks for asking. Just hearing you two. Just no worries, man. Pleasure. Yeah, I, I, won't, I won't go long. Just hearing you two. That's awesome. That's amazing. And I love that we have time to do something like this. Um, the gospel for me, I think honestly, simply put, is just knowing that we're not alone in life. I think that's done it for me because so often I'd come to like a scary situation in life and just go, like, it's my doing that's got me here and it's my doing that's going to get me out and I'm stranded pretty much and like just scared. But just knowing that we're not alone, just knowing that when God came, he stayed and he never left. 
And that just means that now, whatever situation you're in, whatever situation I'm in, I actually don't need to worry. God's with me. He cares about the personal, cares about the small, intimate things of our lives. So I just love that. Yeah. Let's go down here. Luke, tell us how the gospel changed you, brother. Uh, Yeah, so in so many ways, but I think for me, like similar to what Beavs is saying, he's given me a purpose. Um, It's a philosophy of life, essentially. Like I've got a reason and understanding of how life kind of works, you know, for how relationships work, for how we interact, for how we treat women and how we interact in marriage and all kinds of other elements. It's an overflowing thing that just, you know, I guess is like all-consuming, you know, in the way that like God, um, through Jesus, set an example of, of how life and relationship and love should be done. And for me, like, that's, that's enough, you know. Thanks, dude. Um, Sarah, hello. How has the gospel changed you, Sarah? Uh, yeah, well, I think I've been super anxious the last few months, but I think the gospel has changed um, how I process all of that. Um, that my confidence is in him and that God gives me grace for each day um, and also just changes my whole agenda and because obviously I'm such a selfish person. So, um, yeah, I think um, it gives me hope uh, for an eternal future and then um, out of that, um, just thinking how to not be selfish. Um, I have a little quote from Running Scared. It's a good good book on anxiety. Um, And it says, Sometimes we are anxious about our future um, because there is no larger agenda that occupies us in the present. Love, however, is an expansive agenda. As the Father has loved us, so we respond by loving others. Mm. That's been cool. There's also like Ebb's come one day a week and works for us. Again, gospel change and works for free for City Light, which has just been cool to see that. Um, Shem. How's the gospel change you, man? Yeah, cool. I might continue the sitting down. Um, okay, right, Sarah. yeah. You want to start no, um, sitting down, Sam? I think the gospel, I was, um, think, I think mainly in two ways. I think when I first became a Christian, the gospel changed my life because um, I didn't have to be ashamed for the things I'd done. Um, you said it in your sermon, God had fully taken away my shame because I could accept the forgiveness that uh, Jesus offered me in the cross. Yeah. I could be honest and I could work through um, hurt in my life and how it hurt people. Um, in such a profound way, uh, that was so, so transforming. And I think the second one is more now, like what Luke said, I have a purpose, um, and that doesn't change, and that purpose is going to be the same now, and it's going to be the same when I'm 80 years old, um, and, that, and it's constant. I'm a child of God. I don't need to find my identity. And before I was a Christian, I was quite hedonistic, so I partied a lot, did a lot of drugs, had a, lived a really good life, but... I'd always had this kind of um, feeling that it was just, it was, getting, it was getting old, it wasn't satisfying. But when I became a Christian, Jesus was satisfying. I didn't know, need to go searching for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the gospel's great. Thanks, but one of the biggest things I've learned from Shem is in my MC was that the idea of that Jesus is taking on my shame, therefore I can be free to share what's going on in my life. And I love that about Shem. Suze, tell us how the gospel changed your life. Um, yeah, I think it's a, um, a daily transformation, yeah. um, but I think he's definitely transformed the person that I used to be and um, who I believed I was as well and um, changed my perspective on um, what is a priority in life and um, with the sense of 
I guess, having a higher purpose. And, um, and yeah, I guess the recent example is me t- um, exploring the possibility of doing mission in Italy. Um, it's a very brave and courageous thing that I'm willing to try and see and do. Um, and I think, you know, looking 10 years back, that is definitely not something I would have ever thought or imagined myself doing, being a pretty shy and reserved person. And he's just, I don't know, he's just changed me dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Suze. Michaela. How about you? How's the gospel changed you, Michaela? Um, I think most of you know I'm a pretty joyful person. Um, but for most of my life, um, I was joyful and I was satisfied and, um, and I had God and that really fulfilled me, but I didn't care much um, about other people. And um, yeah, like maybe an overshare, but like even at work sometimes, like I'm just, I'm so overcome by the joy of God that like I'm in the bathroom and like I'm sitting my pants like twirling in circles, just so happy. <laughs> like, yeah, and um, yeah, like sometimes it just like, um, just praying to him and praying about other people and it just, like, it breaks, breaks my heart to think that there are some people that have never ex- experienced that joy. Um, that there are some countries where less than 1% of the people have heard the gospel that sustains me daily. Um, Wow, I didn't expect to get this emotional. Um, but yeah, so I guess like Zeus, um, yeah, I, I've, I've had such a joyful life um, and I'm able and I'm willing and so I'm preparing for long-term mission as well. Um, yeah, so I, I'm hopefully leaving in the next five years or so. Yeah, for long-term, so that's all. That's cool. So I was talking to last week, you were sharing how she's yeah, really considering talking mission organizations to go overseas long term to somewhere in Africa to share the gospel with people who don't know it, which I think is really cool. It's amazing. Gospel transformation. Cam, tell us how the gospel changed you, man. Um, yeah, I think like Michaela as well, um, uh, it's, it's joy and it's worth and it's um, identity as well, like Jamie was saying too about identity. I think, um, yeah, before I found all my... Um, identity in like worldly things um, in like looking good or like doing stuff that I thought was cool and that people would think was cool or whatever and I was such a sad person and it wasn't it wasn't fulfilling um, and it didn't even have like that re- like much like momentarily um, goodness out of it like Shem was talking about it just didn't fulfill at all and I was really sad and um, when I understood the gospel the good news um, I've been reading through the Bible like from like from the very start to the very end of the moment and um I'm seeing like the whole Bible is about God reconciling himself to um the people that he created. Um and it's just amazing and that um that he wants to call um us his children and that um that we can have he's sealed us with his Holy Spirit and um we can have our identity in Christ in something that doesn't fail in something that is amazing, um, that I can have all my identity wrapped up in that um, is awesome. And then, yeah, it just gives me um, joy. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Anna, how about you? How's the gospel changed you? 
Um, well, one of the ways I think is the way I think about my future um, here on earth. And um, I think like knowing a loving and sovereign God has really um, freed me up to be able to just think about like giving up this life on earth and um, not having to live by kind of a worldly standard. Um, and so, yeah, I like the um, other girls were saying, um, if God's willing, I'm looking to um, spend time overseas. Um, in, like, yeah, talking about this gospel, which might not be really spoken about at the moment. And, um, yeah, I don't think I just would have ever considered doing that if I didn't um, know that freedom of the gospel, yeah. which is, yeah, cool. Yeah. I was talking to Anna, and she was saying she'd been praying that whole prayer for a while, that God, take me and use me wherever you want in the whole world, which I think is a dangerous prayer, but a gospel-changing prayer, which is amazing, right? Last one, Cam, tell us how the gospel changed you, man. Rad. Cam's going to stand up. I Thanks, will man. hover up. Um, <laughs> I think um, I'd just be like the biggest jerk in the world without the gospel. I think I still am at times. But, um, uh, but yeah, in, in terms of thinking like um, my own enjoyment, my own satisfaction, my own needs um, above others, and I think that's something that I would have trended through without the gospel because I think the gospel challenges me and transforms me in thinking that uh, life isn't about me. Um, and, and Jesus shows that as he, as he lays his life down for us. In 1 John 3, it says, By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us, um, and we ought to do the same for our brothers. And, and so uh, the gospel challenges me with that and in, in, in transforms me in thinking that um, if, the, if a need arises, like how can I say no if Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, uh, the, like being seated at the right hand of God, and uh, how could I say no to someone in need if... Um, if he came and, and died for us. I think that's the thing that really challenges me against my own comfort um, and, and my own desire for self-glorification. Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are plenty of other stories and people that I could have spoken to. Um, you know, as a pastor, um, I have the privilege of speaking to a lot of you and hearing how the gospel is working in your life. And I love that. That's something that spurs me on to, to run hard as well. Uh, I've seen the gospel transform people from all walks of life in every season. What I want to try and say to us is the gospel is not just Jesus died and saved me, that's it. it it's daily, the daily interaction with our sovereign Lord every day where he's feeding us on and reminding us of who we are, what we have in him, and to hold on and to hope. I want us to be a church that sees that, that knows God more, knows the power of the gospel, to transform us and to transform our city and this world. Um, I, want us to have, I want us to have confidence in that. And I want us to be people who remember and who live out what Romans 1.16 says. It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I've got the band up to lead us in, uh, in singing praises to this God for what he has done, for who he is and what he has done. To celebrate the gospel as a church, as a community. But I want to give you just time as we do every week before we just move on to the next song or think a week ahead or we're going after this. I want to give us time to reflect spend time with God, to think about uh, your life and whether you know him or not, uh, what you want to do in light of what he said to you this afternoon. So let me give you time to reflect.